Welcome to Sulphur Springs Baptist Church Sermon Audio. For more information, please visit our website at sulphurspringsbc.com. I appreciate the songs this morning, and I appreciate the way that Christ was magnified in them, and uh, His truth was honored, and I'm grateful for that. And uh, I believe it's certain this morning that He will not let us down. We have people here today walking in a lot of different places and in a lot of different spots in life. Some are uh, in times of storm, some are in times of rejoicing, but I think all of us nonetheless can say that he's not going to let you down. And uh, if you're at a place where you're wondering, and maybe you're questioning that, because we've all been there, and uh, question how God's going to work the situation we're in for our good, as his word promised, um, just let me encourage you to hold on, because he will. Uh, it might take a matter of time, and it could take years, and it may be a long time before you ever see the good, but that's where you've got to hold to his word and rest in it. And uh, be certain that he will be faithful. He will not let you down. And uh, eventually the situation you're in, as dark as it may seem, will prove to be for your good and he'll get glory out of it. And uh, I'm grateful for that promise this morning that we can anchor ourselves in and uh, trust in even through the darkest, darkest seasons of life. If you have your Bibles, we'll be visiting Galatians again this morning. Uh, Galatians, we're in chapter number two as we continue our study here. And uh, as you find your place, I'll remind you again that um, there's some... Uh, scripture journals out in the lobby. Um, I believe there's still some out there, and as if we run out and there's still interest in them, I'll be glad to get some more. Um, but it's just an opportunity. If if you don't have a notebook that you like to take notes in, I wanted to supply that resource for you, and um, so that you might get the most out of our times of study as possible. However that however that is for you, it might be you get the most from just listening. You might get distracted when you start writing stuff down. I don't know whatever you find most useful for you, but I want to provide the resources as best I can to meet your need so that we're learning and we're growing in Christ because that's the, that's the point of it all. Um, but we're in chapter number 2. We'll begin reading in verse number 11, and I know you've stood in a couple different times, but if you will this morning, I'll ask you once again uh, to stand as we read uh, the word of the Lord. Galatians chapter number 2, begin reading in verse 11, and we'll read through verse number 16. Bible says, But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face, because he was to be blamed. For before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. And the other Jews dissembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, If thou, being a Jew, livest after the manner of Gentiles, and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. And I want you to remember this. If you don't remember anything about the book of Galatians, remember this. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word. God, I thank you for truth this morning. God, thank you for giving us light that we can live by. And uh, God, I pray that during our time together this morning, you would use your word to transform us into the image of our Savior. And God, help this time to be eternally beneficial. And Lord, help our lives to be changed because of it. God, help us to, to leave here today in more obedience and in more submission to you than we were when we walked in. And God, I pray that you'd help our, our attention to be set upon you and to your voice. And God, help your word from the pulpit this morning to go forth in power 
God, help us to understand it's not just my words, Lord, but it's, it's you. And God, help me to be so true to the text that that is accurate to say. God, help me to handle your word with integrity this morning, to represent you and your word well and accurately. And Father, I thank you for your goodness and your mercy. God, thank you for the message this morning of salvation. For the sinner that's here today, God, that has never put their faith in Christ, Lord, I pray for them. God, I pray that the Holy Ghost would begin to deal with their heart and they would see Christ as their only means of salvation. God, they would see their need of a Savior that, Lord, they are not right in the condition they're in because of sin. And Lord, for the one that might be here today that's clinging to works, that's clinging to this or to that, that they've done or they've stayed away from, God, I pray that you'd strip them of all those things. And Lord, they would settle themselves in Christ and anchor themselves in the promise of Calvary. Father, all these things we ask in the name that's above every name. Amen. Thank you for standing this morning. You've uh, heard the saying, I'm sure, which goes, you must stand for something or you will fall for anything. And the thing that Paul stood for, as we know, as we've been studying, was the gospel of Jesus Christ. And unfortunately, the believers in Galatia had fallen for a false gospel. Kind of like the fisherman who sets a bait on a hook and then casts that into the sea or into the uh, lake or wherever they might be fishing, and the fish grabs onto that, that bait, that deception. Well, that's kind of what happened in Galatia. After Paul had left and continued on in his missionary work, false teachers came in, and like that fisherman, they cast a bait for the believers in Galatia. And that bait was this idea that you can earn your salvation that along with believing in Christ, you need to be circumcised, you need to keep certain elements of the law to truly and completely be saved. And unfortunately, those believers in Galatia being young and immature in Christ, they grabbed a hold of that bait. But now here, Paul steps in to try to correct that, to, to correct that deception that those false teachers had entrapped the believers in Galatia with. And in humility, you and I should never think that we are beyond believing a lie. As I was thinking about this passage and, and what we've been studying so far, I, rem I remind you, as I was reminded, that Paul here is not preaching to uh, a group out in the world. Paul is, is writing to church members. Paul is writing to the churches of Galatia. These were church people who got the gospel wrong. It's very possible, it's very much a reality that church people can get the gospel wrong. Just because... A lot of times we get, I guess, arrogant with the gospel. We think, well, I grew up in church, and I'm at church all the time, and so we take for granted what the gospel is. But we, even as church people, need to make sure we understand the gospel correctly and that we believe and we have anchored ourselves in the true gospel. Because as Paul mentioned in chapter number 1, there are things that, as he defines as another gospel, there's other messages. He, he explains that it's not truly another gospel but there's other messages that go forth and label themselves as gospel, as good news, as hope, when in reality they are a lie and they are deceptive. And that's what had happened in Galatia. And Paul cared too much about Christ, his service to him, and these, these believers to let them continue down this destructive road. He would not allow the believers in Galatia to stay on this hook that the false teachers had snagged them with. And I trust that you and I are like Paul and that we want others to know the gospel. We want others to live by the gospel and we want others ultimately to believe the gospel. We don't want people to walk in darkness and certainly we ourselves don't want to walk in darkness. We want to walk in the light. And in the text before us, Paul is using a confrontation that he had with the apostle Peter in which we learned that 
you, you and I can use our lives to come to help others come to the point of realizing what the true gospel is, and that is the gospel of Christ. And that's what Paul, again, his whole purpose in writing up to this point was to help these believers. They had been moved, as, you, as we read in chapter number 1, to another gospel. Now Paul has to bring them back to a correct understanding of what the gospel really is. And as he's been doing that up to this point, now he uses a confrontation, a, a conflict that he had with Peter. And so I want us to think about the text this morning as we dive into it. And a lot of this question, how can we use our life to help others understand the only true gospel? And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, for, first of all, this morning, for one thing, we can live in conformity to it. I'm sure as we think about verse number 11, you and I can relate a lot to Peter and this fact that Peter was not perfect. I'm sure many of us can relate to that aspect of Peter's life. And Peter, as maybe more so than any other person in the New Testament, his imperfections are recorded. And in verse number 11, we see another one of those imperfections put on display. Paul writes this, when Peter was come to Antioch, so Paul is revisiting a time when he was there and what he kind of established as his home base, he says, I withstood Peter to the face because he was to be blamed. One thing worth pointing out is that Paul, when he had this issue with Peter, didn't go to everybody in Antioch and say, can you believe what Peter's done? Can you, can you believe what he has been telling people? Can you believe the way he's been acting? Paul went straight to Peter. But that does not mean that Paul was easy with him. The word withstood means to take a stand against. I read in studying this week that it's a military word. And it means to strongly resist an opponent. So the way that one army might stand against another army, that's the intensity of that word. There's no small conflict, and Paul was not uh, light in his approach to Peter because of the error that he had engaged in. He was to be blamed. He was guilty. Peter had done something wrong. What is it that he did? What, what is Paul getting in Peter's face about? Well, Paul explains in verse number 12 that before certain Jews had came into Antioch, Peter would eat with the Gentiles. Peter would fellowship with the Gentiles. And Peter made no difference between him as a Jew and those believers as Gentiles. But then one day, James and some other brethren came to Antioch where Peter was. And these brethren would have been Jewish Christians. And when they came, he withdrew himself or separated himself from those Gentile believers because he feared those which were of the circumcision. And then unfortunately, in verse number 13, because he did that, other believers did the same thing. What Peter did was the essence of hypocrisy. Peter's actions did not align with the true gospel. In fact, the words in verse number 13, dissembled and dissimulation, both speak of hypocrisy. That word speaks of someone acting under a mask, that kind of deception. That's what Peter had done. Peter's actions didn't support the true gospel. And the sad thing about it is, is Peter knew as well as anybody. If you go look at Acts chapter number 10, in that passage of Scripture, the entire chapter just about God is teaching Peter that what God calls clean, Peter's not to call uncommon. Peter was summoned to the house of a Gentile and prayed with him and watched the Holy Ghost fall 
on that whole entire house. God taught him that he is no respecter of persons, that Gentiles can be saved the same way as the Jews. And in Acts 15, they had what is called the Jerusalem Council, the first church council. And there again, the church come to the conclusion that everyone, Jew or Gentile, is only saved by grace, that our, that our hearts are only purified by putting our faith in Jesus. Peter had been a part of both of those instances. But in this particular instance, Peter failed. When these Jews came out of fear of them, because they would have probably said, Peter, why are you, why are you eating with them? Why are you fellowshipping with them? They cannot truly be saved. And Peter must have feared these men much more than he feared God. Because even though he had been taught those lessons, he acted in hypocrisy and then began to shy away from those believers. So he no longer would go eat with the Gentiles. He would no longer treat them as brother or sister. He withdrew himself. You and I need to be careful of saying one thing and believing, saying we believe one thing and acting another way because hypocrisy does damage to the gospel just like Peter's did. Peter's actions did damage so that from those around him being able to correctly understand the gospel. Peter's actions support a gospel of works that you have to be a Jew, you have to do this, you have to do that. And you and I need to be careful that our actions support the true gospel of Jesus Christ. That we don't treat one person differently than we treat the rest because all of us are saved in one way and it's by faith in Christ Jesus. So do our actions support the true gospel and that is that salvation can only be found in Jesus. And the sad thing is, is notice that it wasn't just Peter in verse number 13. When it comes to living in conformity to the gospel or lack thereof, we're going to influence someone. You hear it often, and I think it's clear in the text, and so it's worth pointing out that when Peter did this, many of the other brethren did too, and Barnabas even, somebody well-respected, somebody of, of influence, somebody that you might would think, well, they're, they're firm enough to stand on their own. But when Peter began to withdraw himself from the Gentiles, Barnabas and other brethren did too. Peter's actions influenced those around him. When you and I live out the gospel, or if we don't live out the gospel, we're having an influence on someone. It'll either be for good or for bad. And unfortunately, in this situation for Peter, it was, it was bad. His influence led people astray. But one thing that can help us in living in conformity to the gospel is accountability. Notice when Paul noticed this error. Paul didn't say, well, man, they were, they were doing good. I thought I could trust Peter. Apparently not. But Paul went to Peter and withstood him again. Notice he says, to the faith, face. And in verse 14, he tells us what he talked to Peter about. He tells us he went and said unto Peter. He took his concern straight to the issue. Instead of running Peter's name in the ground, he went to Peter and confronted him. That's called accountability. Paul was acting as much like a brother in Christ as he, anybody could have ever done when he went to Peter and withstood him to the face. Because Peter was in error, and Paul as a brother was keeping him accountable. You know, a lot of times we don't want people messing in our life. A lot of times if what Paul did to Peter, Paul would do to us, then we're not going to like Paul. 
Paul calling us out for problems. Paul calling us out for true error. I'm not talking about getting on someone because they don't follow the same traditions and preferences as you. But most of us would have said, man, Paul's just meddling in my business, won't leave me alone. But Paul is doing what a brother in Christ does when he kept Peter accountable. Account accountability will help you in living in conformity to Christ. I would encourage you, find a brother or sister in Christ that can keep you accountable. If you struggle with a particular sin, find somebody you can be open with and honest with that they might can text you once a week and say, how's this going? You say, well, I don't want the mess in my life. We need those areas of accountability. It will help us. Peter could have continued down this path of error setting forth a false gospel by his actions, but he was corrected now because of Paul. And Paul went about it the right way and understand keeping someone accountable. There's a, there's a compassion, there's a grace that has to be shown in that. But what Paul was doing for Peter was of great benefit here. We all need accountability. I need accountability as a pastor. If you, have a, if you have a question about something I've preached, if you have a concern or if you have something in my life, you, should ha you have the right and you should come to me. Rather, instead of maybe speaking bad of me or, or saying this or saying that, maybe come speak to me. That keeps me accountable. That's a good thing. If you see things in your husband or wife's life, again, out of compassion, out of grace, you're being a true husband or you're being a true wife when you keep that person accountable. Again, not to your preferences, again, not to what you want them to be, but when errors of truth and right and good doctrine are at stake. Accountability is a good thing. But then lastly, this morning, is if you want to support the true gospel, if you want to help teach others what the true gospel is, then we need to personally apply it ourselves. Notice what Paul says to Peter, we who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles. I love verse number 16. One, person, one commentary said it's the key verse. It's maybe the most significant verse. And I don't, I don't know that I disagree with that. He says, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Paul reminds, as he's writing to the Galatians, and in what he said to Peter, he says, you and I are Jews. And we know from Paul that he was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Paul was, if there was anybody who could, would have thought that they could earn their salvation, it would have been Paul. Paul did everything by the book. Peter was a Jew as well. And Paul says, you and I, Peter, even though we were Jews, if anybody could have had the mindset of we can, we can earn our salvation, we can do enough works to be good enough, it would have been me and you. But he says, even us, even though we had that background, we wasn't like the Gentiles who had no regard for the law of God, which is why he says sinners of the Gentiles. He's saying they didn't know the law of God. They didn't even, they didn't even give a thought to trying to keep the law of God. He says, we were not like that. We were Jews. We were mindful of the law of God. But even at that, you and I, we didn't trust the law. We ourselves trusted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
You and I, Peter, we walked away from the law as far as in anchoring ourselves in it for our salvation, and we trusted in the gospel. What a testimony that would have been to the believers in Galatia that even these men, who if anybody could be good enough, these two would have been the example of that. They were Jews. They were among God's people. He says, but Peter, you remember even me and you forsook the law as far as our anchor for salvation. We knew that we could never be justified by the law. And as a Christian this morning, you need to understand what the word justified means. That word should be very precious to you. That word is where your salvation is found. I've always heard this little saying about that word justification, and it stuck with me. Justified means as if I have never sinned. The ESV study Bible says justified means counted righteous or declared righteous by God. John MacArthur explains that throughout Scripture it refers to God's declaring a sinner not guilty. I love this. Maybe my favorite that I read is clear of all charges. That's what justified means. You see, God, we know in His character He's, he's just. So God, to allow you into heaven, to allow you into his presence, couldn't just say, well, we'll just not worry about your sin. He couldn't do that. That's against who he is. You have to be just. You have to be cleared. You have to be innocent. And because of sin, we're not that way. We're guilty. So how do we... How do, we, how do we reach this place of being cleared of all charges? How can it be that God declares you and I innocent when I know my heart and you know your heart and we're far from innocent? How do we get this title as justified? Where, how did that come to be? Well, I can promise you with 100% assurance that you will never get there because you've worked your way there. You will never reach a place of being cleared of all charges because you've done more good than bad. You will never be justified by the works of the law. You will never be justified by your efforts and by what you do or what you do not do. You never will get there. According to verse 16, you can keep all the rules that you want to and you will never be saved. As Dr. David Jeremiah said, trying to undo sin by good works is a prescription for righteousness that leaves us falling hopelessly short. If I were to ask you this morning, how, if you're saved, and then you said yes, and I followed that with how do you know? If you, were to, if you are to testify this morning, I'm saved, what is your reason for that? Why, how do you know you're saved? What does your mind go to as you ponder an answer to that question? Does your mind go to, well, I've been a member here for a long time? Does your mind go to, well, I've been reading through my devotional faithfully for the last year? Does your mind go to, well, I was baptized as a young person? Does your mind go, well, I go to church here at, at Tabernacle often... Um, Especially before COVID, I would go out some and, and, and knock on doors and, and invite people to church. And a lot of times I'd ask them, have you ever been saved? Do you know Jesus? And most of the time, here's their response. Well, I go to church here. Or I go to church there. That was all they, what they always said. 
And in my mind, without being, and then I would try to point them to the truth and say that our only hope is in Christ, but without getting into an argument on their front doorstep, you know, I was thinking in my mind, that's not what I asked. Because those things are not where your justification comes from. You're not cleared of all charges because you're a Baptist this morning. Rather, when you think, why am I saved? Our answer should be because I know what Jesus did. And I remember the day that I placed my faith and my trust in Him. If you lean, if you lean on works, if you, and a lot of times as, as Christians who grow up in church, we subtly do this. We would say, I was saved, and you'd give a date. But internally, we kind of lean on these good things I just mentioned. Well, like, I, I, I'm probably saved because I do these things. But if you, if you do that, you're going to battle with the assurance of your salvation from now on. Because you're always going to think, have I done enough? Did I read my Bible enough? Did I pay enough in, pay enough in my tithes? Did I dress good enough? Did I sing the right songs? If you, if you anchor yourselves in works, you're always going to be battling with this. Have I done enough? Am I, have I been good enough? Did I stay away from enough sin so that God will count me as innocent? But when you learn all those things, and I'm not minimizing good works because when you're saved, grace will produce that in you. But I do want to, to remove our trust in any other thing for our salvation. It's in Christ alone. And when you get to the place of understanding that you're saved not because you read your Bible, not because you dress well when you come to church, but you are saved because of what Jesus did at the cross, then you can learn that. You can go to bed at night and know, have the peace that you have been saved. Because you, re you understand it's not about me. It's not about what I've done. It's about what He did for you at Calvary. And why, why is this? Why does our faith in Jesus Christ justify us? How does, if works don't do it, why does putting our faith in Jesus clear us of all charges? It's the, it's the beautiful thing about the gospel. There's this transaction that took place. Jesus Christ, as the perfect Son of God, when He bore the pain and the wrath of the cross, it was the wrath of God being poured out on Him. He was treated as sin. Our sin and the punishment for our sin was placed on Jesus. And then when you believe in Jesus, Jesus' righteousness, the perfection in which you read about that He lived with in His Word, His sinlessness, His innocency, His holiness, His purity, all that is transferred to you. You say, well, that's, that's wonderful. That's our gospel. There's this transaction that took place. Christ was made sin for us, that we could be made the righteousness of God in Him. That's how you're justified. You no longer stand in yourself. If you go before God and you try to stand in your good works, it's going it's to be a miserable end. But if you stand in the righteousness of Christ, you will be declared innocent. You will be cleared of all charges. I like again what Dr. David Jeremiah said. He said, of course God knew that we could not be justified by our own efforts. So he arranged to remove our sin himself. And how did he do that? He did that in Jesus. It's a beautiful thing. The wisdom of God in, revealed in the gospel. 
But if you have not believed in Christ, then you still stand in your own works, and you still stand in your own righteousness, which is filthiness at its best. So I want you to hear the word of the Lord this morning. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. That's the heartbeat of the gospel. You cannot, you will not earn it. You will not be good enough. We are only justified by the faith of Christ. You, it has to be personal. I'll ask our musicians if they will to come around this Karen, if you want to begin to play, play softly, I think the, the hymn is just as I am, and I'll let her play. If you will, stand with me this morning. If you've never put your faith in the gospel, I want to invite you to do that this morning. It's the only way you can be justified. It's the only way you can be declared innocent. I love what Charles Swindoll said, and... Dr. David Jeremiah is the one who quoted it, but it's said, he said, the most dangerous heresy on earth is the emphasis on what we do for God instead of what God does for us. When it comes to salvation, quit looking at yourself. Quit looking at what you can do and what you've done or not done. Look to Him. Look to Calvary. Look to the cross, and you can be saved. If you find this morning that you've been struggling with your salvation, struggling with the assurance of it, and you realize through the Word this morning you've been trusting these other things, and you've been anchoring yourself in this, or you've been anchoring yourself in that rather than in the gospel, I want to invite you to come this morning. Ask the Lord to help you, to teach you, to just fully rest in the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you've never been saved, then hear the word of the Lord. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. You'll never be able to earn it. You'll never be able to work your way there. Put your faith in Him, and you can be saved. You can be declared innocent by God Himself this morning. As Mark comes around and leads us, if you need to pray, I encourage you to do that this morning. Thank you for listening. Please remember to drop a rating and subscribe to get our latest audio.